Hello, and welcome to Decarbonize, the clean energy podcast from Fresh Energy. Fresh Energy is a Minnesota nonprofit working to speed our state's transition to a clean energy economy. My name is Joe Olson. I do communications here at Fresh Energy, and I'm here today to share with you a recording of our recent virtual open house with electric vehicle, solar, and storage owners in Minnesota. At this event, we heard from Minnesotans who have made the switch to driving electric and harvesting electricity from the sun to power their homes and vehicles. We'll also get a quick overview of the marketplace and technology, interconnection, rebates, and more from Shift to Electric's Yuka Kukunen and Fresh Energy's Isabel Ricker. And with that, I will begin the recording. Thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome to our virtual open house today with EV solar and storage owners here in Minnesota. My name is Joe Olson. I do communications at Fresh Energy, a Minnesota-based clean energy nonprofit. And we are really excited to be co-hosting this event today with Shift to Electric and the Minnesota Electric Vehicle Owners Chapter. So before I jump right in, I want to do just a tiny bit of housekeeping. We'll be taking questions at the end of this webinar, but I encourage you to use the Q&A function on Zoom to submit your questions. Um, you should be able to see each other's questions, and if you like something, if you give it a thumbs up, it will upvote it and uh, push it further up the list. Um, you can submit questions via chat, but I would encourage you to try to remember to use the Q&A to make sure that I see it. Um, submit them at any time and we will address them at the end. Um, let's see, what else? I guess with that, I can introduce our guest speakers. So we've got Yuka Kukunen today. Uh, he's a chief education officer with Shift to Electric, and he also works really closely with Fresh Energy as an electric vehicle consultant. He kind of masterminded today's event, so we're all here because uh, he had the initiative to do a virtual open house in these really unique times. I'd also like to introduce Isabel Ricker. She is a senior policy associate on the energy markets team at Fresh Energy and one of my favorite colleagues. All right, well, we're also joined today by a great panel of folks who own EVs, solar, and storage, or um, not everyone owns storage, but lots of opinions about storage on this call today. And they've all volunteered to join us and share their experiences. So welcome to Stephen Hong, Laura Hanna, Philip Adam, and Keith Richard. So we are covering a whole bunch today. And just to get an idea of who is in the room, I'm going to push a poll out right now. Um, this will help influence some of our panelists talking points today. So tell us uh, if you currently own an EV, any solar or any storage, and then let us know if you're looking to purchase any of the below. I know people here are probably uh, pretty keen to learn more on the subject. And when we dive in uh, to the discussion, Yuka is going to share some facts about the technology and today's market. Isabel will talk about interconnection and incentives. And then we will have about oh, five to eight minutes from each panelist who will share their experience that they've had uh, with all of these things. And then we'll take your questions. So I see many of you have answered the poll. So I'm going to end the polling and I'm going to share the results. So you see, it looks like a lot of people here own an electric vehicle and are looking to add solar uh, charge or capture and charge at home. Um, some folks are looking into electric vehicles and folks are looking into storage too. So I think, I think this is the perfect event for you to be a part of. And I think that's my bit for now. Yuka, would you like to take it from here? 
All right. Well, thank you, Joe, and, and good uh, morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today to talk about EVs and solar and storage with us. So we have a good panel for you, but I'll start uh, by talking a little bit about what has happened with the technology um, so we can get, get kind of like an overview of the things. So I'll share my screen here. I have a couple of slides. So just bear with me for that. There we go. So this year, uh, National Driver Electric Week and National Solar Tour are on the same week, and this is the week. So that's why we're doing this. Um, you can find more information about the Driver Electric Week events around the US by visiting the driverelectricweek.org. And um, uh, National Solar Tour provided this year opportunity for people to do a virtual uh, open houses at their own garages. And, and set up, so we decided to do that. So if you go to nationalsolartour.org, you can find uh, our page there. So Minnesota um, solar, EV solar and battery storage owners tour. Uh, check that out. We have nine uh, videos there from uh, our members. So that's a, that's a good, probably provides you a ton, ton of good information there. I would definitely recommend uh, check out Laura Hannan's uh, daughter um, Marley there, joining her uh, Marley's friend there, James, who are giving a really good explanation of their so the whole solar panels and and stuff there, talking a little bit about EVs too. That is probably one of the well, that is by far the cutest um, uh, solar videos I've ever seen, and it's also one of the most educational ones. So definitely go check that one out. Um, there's also Minnesota Renewable Energy Society has also a solar tour um, there. So check out them. They have another 12 sites. So that's that's uh, worth worth checking. So you have plenty of perspective from Minnesota uh, to learn more about how people have done their setups at homes. And then our Minnesota EV owners group have their own page, minnesotaevowners.org. So there you can find more information about EVs and, and driving electric in Minnesota. Talking a little bit about technology advancements um, that has really made, uh, providing us an opportunity to do all of this. Cost of residential solar energy has really dropped in last 10 years. Um, if you think about putting a six kilowatt hour system, okay, I'm sorry, six kilowatt solar system into your house, 2008, that might have cost you almost $50,000 and now, you might get the same kind of installation for like twelve to fifteen thousand dollars. So it's much cheaper nowadays. There's a ton of different variables that go into that uh, price. So it's hard to tell uh, what your system would cost exactly. Uh, that's why I have a solar site assessments done by several companies. Give you bits. Talk about the different options. That's the best way to do it. Then you get a more realistic idea of what it costs in your property to do it. But again, the price have gone, come down a lot. So it's definitely a good time to consider that. The other development that we've seen, of course, in the last 10 years, the lithium ion battery prices have dropped a lot too. We are starting to approach the $100 per kilowatt hour price where internal combustion engine can't compete anymore in the in the marketplace. I would already say that EVs are uh, 
they are oftentimes actually already, when you take the tax credit into account, a cheaper option to purchase. And of course, they are way cheaper to use. So overall, economically, uh, much better choice. And they are so much more fun cars to drive. So that's, that's uh, definitely a good choice too. So if you th start to think about what should you do first, my recommendation is, is to lower your energy consumption and think about how you can get off of fossil fuels. The first thing that I would recommend people is to start driving electric. Get an electric car because in, electric drivetrain is so much more efficient than internal combustion engine. So when you start driving electric, you drop 75% of your energy consumption overnight. Um, and at the same time, you get rid of oil in your driving. So it's, I would say you get best bang for your buck with EVs starting with that one. At the same time, think about how you can electrify other things in your household. One of the things that I added this spring was uh, electric uh, heat pump water heater. So took out our gas water heater and put the electric heat pump water heater there. Excellent choice, I, I've been really happy with it. it. It heats up our water, dehumidifies our, our basement in the a, in a summertime and uh, also provides cooling in the summertime. So that has been really, really good uh, choice for us. And then you can look at other uh, heat pump heating systems, um, induction stoves and other, other things, um, definitely good ways to electrify your whole household. Then look at um, if you could, our, well, overall our grid is getting cleaner. So we are getting cleaner grid energy all the time. Grid is, grid is just, uh, carbon footprint is just dropping fast there. But if you can add solar, that's, another plus there. So as I said, talk with several different um, companies to look at what kind of uh, options they have, what let them do the site assessments, get some bits so you can do a comparisons. But that's the thing you can look into if you want to do a string inverters or, or, or power optimizers there or whatever the systems are. Talk about the different technologies with the installers. And uh, then at the same time, you can start to think about the battery storage. I would recommend be cautious about the battery storage still. I have battery storage in my household, but economically it doesn't make much sense. It, the most value it provides me is a, is a backup power if the grid was go, would go down. But grid outages are so rare in my, my uh, area, for example, here in Twin Cities, that I haven't had ever any problems with it. So it's it doesn't provide a lot of um, value for me right now. But if you have way too much money and you have like uh, really fun technology uh, science project, it's definitely a good choice to do. So depending on what your, what your needs are and, and all this. But at the same time, look at the metering, figure out where you can actually monitor what your energy uses, learn more about your energy consumption. That's, that's definitely valuable for you when you th make these decisions in the future. About EVs, we have um, almost 30 different models available here in Minnesota. Um, we don't have time to go into details of all of those, but you can go to evinfolist.com, download this uh, kind of a list there, which provides you all the information there. So check that one out. And we also have a mnevbuyer.com webpage where you can find more resources on, on how to make good decisions on EVs. So I would recommend check out those. And the last thing I wanted to talk from, from my perspective is just to give you an idea of how to charge an EV. So 
every car comes with this kind of a level one cord set that uh, is can be just plugged into normal one 120 household outlet so as long as you have 120 outlet outlet in your garage you're good to go you can start driving electric but we are limited by how much power we can pull out of the uh, normal 120 outlet so therefore that works well if you drive 30 miles or less in a day but i know people who have used this for years um, as their main charging option the other thing that i have to say about charging is that majority of the charging happens at home over 85 percent of the charging happens at home in general um, so home charging is home is where the where evs are charged my wife has for example driven eight years with electric cars and never used a public charging station um, so it's it's important so if you drive more than 30 miles a day then i would recommend installing these level two a level two charging station one on the right there is public charging station that you can see um, in different restaurants or grocery stores or other places public places but the one on the left there is a home charging station and that's basically just a box that you bolted a couple of bolts uh, to the wall and electrician runs 240 volt line there normally three wire installation with 40 amp breaker so very very simple installation nothing complicated about it any electrician can do that and the price of those is between five to six hundred dollars uh, the base units so they're not that expensive either um uh, the one thing that i want to say still to that is that if you are thinking about the ev charging solar battery storage and all of that when you start to look at the one first project that you do think about the other projects at the same time think about how you could build the capacity be ready for the next installation so that you you're preparing your future proofing your property for those then the fastest way to charge evs is to use dc fast charging those are refrigerator size units that are by the side of the road for long distance trips um, so those people normally use for long distance trips they stop there for 30 to 40 minutes of charging and then continue but those are not home store home system so you don't have to worry about that all right i'll let uh, panelists continue here to explain their systems and, and how they do this all at home actually let's pause and and have isabel talk a little bit about i'm sorry inter interconnection I'm, I'm way too fast here let's not let the panelists yet it's isabel's <laughs> turn first um, okay i will just uh, stop sharing here and I'll let isabel take care perfect thanks yuka yeah, I'm just going to talk <clears throat> pretty briefly today about um, two of the um, sometimes more technical um, pieces of going solar or purchasing a storage system or an EV, and then some of the more exciting things, which are incentives and ways that you can improve your return on investment or save more money um, by installing clean energy. So give me one second while I also get my PowerPoint set up. Um, I apologize, it has some pictures, so it's a little slower <laughs> to load, but hopefully that'll be enjoyable to watch. All right. And here we go. Okay. Can everybody see my PowerPoint? Yep. Looks great. And not a whole lot of other windows are showing. That's always fun. <laughs> You're all clear. <laughs> okay, good. Um, yeah, so incentives and interconnection. I'm sure all of you who are thinking about EVs are thinking about how much 
money you can save on maintenance and not purchasing gas. Um, and if you're thinking about solar, you're trying to identify a sunny area on your roof or in your yard or elsewhere. Um, thinking about your roof age, important considerations like that. In addition, I wanted to talk about these two things, incentives, which could include um, utility programs, rebates from the government, um, tax credits, which can improve the return on investment, but may also influence how you design or finance your system. And interconnection, which is the process for connecting to the grid. And there are state and utility rules uh, that govern how you do that. Okay, so this is the most, probably most talked about incentive. You've probably all heard about the federal investment tax credit. Um, this is a chart from the National Solar Energy Industry Association that shows the percentage of tax credit you're eligible for, um, for a solar installation in these four years. Obviously, we're at the end of 2020 and you 21 where for residential systems, the tax credit actually goes away after December 31st, 2021. So this is definitely an important consideration for those of you thinking about solar. Um, it's certainly possible the um, tax credits could be extended or the step down uh, could become more gradual. Maybe it'll go to 18% and you know, gradually decrease over time, depending on the outcome of this November's election. But definitely important to think about. As it currently stands, the tax credit will uh, go away for residential systems starting in 2022. Um, for those of you thinking about storage, it is also possible to apply the tax credit toward a storage installation, but there are a few rules just about how you design the system. The storage system needs to be charged from your solar array in order to qualify for the tax credit. If you're considering a more um, complicated scheme, maybe a lease or power purchase agreement, which is not common in Minnesota, um, you may be eligible for the commercial credit. So a longer timeline is more possible for that system. But um, just wanted to make sure all of you are aware of this. And SIA has a really, uh, they have a lot of resources on this if you have any other questions about how it works. And I put on the side over here, there is a federal electric vehicle tax credit. It's also an investment tax credit as well. And that is, um, it varies a bit based on battery size, but all electric and plug-in hybrid vehicles are eligible for up to $7,500. So also a very important thing to consider. And Yuka has a wealth of information about other EV rebates and utility programs available. And, uh, can provide information on that if people are interested. So I also wanted to mention some Minnesota utility solar programs. Um, the most common one with our largest utility is Excel's Solar Rewards Program. It's a 10-year production incentive. Um, so they pay you essentially seven cents per kilowatt hour for uh, the power you produce, and then they'll send you a check once a year. Um, income qualified customers, whether they're residential or businesses or nonprofits, can also qualify for an upfront incentive. So that uh, slide has a link to the program page, which kind of walks you through all the different options. Uh, Minnesota Power has a Solar Sense program, which is expiring in 2021, but is likely to be renewed for next year and is has been historically quite generous and usually 
gets used up pretty quick. So we'll see how it looks um, when it's renewed in 2021, but it's likely to cover around 20% of your installation cost. So if you get 22% federal tax credit and you're in Minnesota power territory, that reduces your price by 42%. So pretty nice. Um, Dakota Electric also has a solar rebate, which is paid as a production incentive monthly, but it's categorized or uh, calculated based on your upfront cost to install. And yes, I highly recommend you check with your utility and solar installer to see if there are other things available in your area if you're not in one of those three utilities. And interconnection, um, this is, like I said before, the process and rules that govern how you connect to the grid. And it's been a big priority of Fresh Energy since 2016 to modernize Minnesota's interconnection process and standards. And Laura Hanna actually uh, spearheaded much of this effort. So we have to give her many kudos. Um, so last year, a new statewide process went into effect, which has, um, I think, contributed significantly to a lot of improvements in consistency across the state and how you interconnect um, much clearer rules, process, and fees, and hopefully a smoother, faster, and more cost-effective process um, across the board. So another piece of this that may be interesting for those of you um, installing next year or potentially in 2022 and with batteries is that uh, Minnesota inter, um, in this process also updated our technical standards for interconnection and was the first state to incorporate and plan for smart inverters in our interconnection standards. And this, I don't wanna to get too into the details, but happy to talk about it offline with anyone interested, but that will um, help more solar come onto the grid. It will help um, solar arrays contribute to the utilities management of the grid. And um, I think, allow a few more opportunities for storage to um, facilitate you know, efficiency on the homeowner side and the utility side um, by just streamlining how your system communicates with the utility. So that's pretty exciting and would, would be happy to talk more offline, especially those of you who wanna install storage. Yeah, and here's just some quick resources. So feel free to contact me and then if you have questions about interconnection, the Minnesota Public Utilities Commission has a pretty good overview website. And of course, contact your utility and installer. And that's all for me looking really, I'm really looking forward to hearing the discussion and hearing from you homeowners who have um, installed some of these technologies. Thank you so much, Isabel. I'm going to just jump in and uh, share my screen one last time to plug a couple events we have coming up. Um, so our benefit breakfast, Fresh Energy's big virtual benefit breakfast is happening next month. And at that webinar, we will have a nationally globally known uh, keynote speaker who will talk about how clean energy uh, must be part of economic recovery and rebuilding and how states can lead in that process. And if you find today's webinar is right up your alley, we've got a couple more uh, owner panels coming up on October 1st, which is, oh my gosh, this week, we're going to be talking with electric vehicle owners about their experience driving EVs. It's the last in our three-part panel series. We're also going to be talking about uh, electric yard 
care. So we've got our final mowers, blowers, and chainsaws event with a special guest from the Conservation Corps of Minnesota who has done so much trail clearing on the North Shore with electric chainsaws that it's pretty unbelievable. Uh, we also have an event about careers in the green recovery, which I highly recommend. And finally, our last electric yard care event is about snowblowers only, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So fresh-energy.org slash events will get you uh, registration links for everything that you need. So now I'm officially done talking until the Q&A, and I'm going to pass things over to Stephen. Stephen, welcome. I'm going to spotlight your video so everyone can see you really well. All right, okay, go thank right you. ahead. Thank you. So I'm Stephen Hong. I live in South Minneapolis, and um, one of the things that we decided to do was 10 years ago, we put on this solar system on top of our house. And so that's a 2.5 kilowatt hour system, kilowatt system, and it was designed to generate about 60% of our household power, and it has done just that. And our crossover point, and what I mean by crossover point is uh, the point where our upfront money uh, actually is now saving us money was about eight or nine years. So at 10 years old now, we're actually saving money on that. It's all free energy at this point. Any energy that it generates is completely free to us and is offsetting all our future um, electrical, electrical uses. So the cost of this system back then 10 years ago was 24-ish thousand dollars and there were three sets of incentives the solar rewards was an upfront payment um, the 30 percent federal tax credit and then there was a department of commerce from minnesota that gave us some money as well so our net cost was about i wouldn't say five thousand maybe six thousand dollars um, so it made sense back then even 10 years ago um, to put on solar and then moving forward um, I ended up buying an electric car about three years ago, four years ago. And so I drive a Tesla Model X. Let me see if I can find a better picture. Here we go. Um, and so the Tesla um, is, a like Yuka was saying, is a great way to save energy. Uh, it is uh, four times as efficient as a gas car. And that's primarily why I drive that car. Um, I had a Model S before this. It was just a little small for me, so I, I traded it or sold it for the Model X. Um, so. With this Model X, um, I, I just plug in at home like most of us do on a, well, I had a 240 volt outlet that I was using for the longest time. For three of the four years I drove electric cars, I was just using this outlet here, just the NEMA 1450. Uh, and recently I, um, I added another solar system and I'll get to that in a minute, but that, with that I also added the level two charger that Tesla sells. And so that's in my garage uh, as well. With that, um, I'm trying to pace myself. So here's a new system that we just put on. Five years ago, we built this garage on our lot to face south. Um, specifically, I designed it to face south so I could put this system on here. This is 18 panels of 325 watts each. So it's like a 5.8 kilowatt system. And with this system, it is enough to generate 100% of the power I need to drive my car. And there's extra power as well. And I drive 18,000 miles a year. So what I would boil it down to, the easy way to explain it is, I would say one panel of about 320 watts or so is enough to offset uh, 1,000 miles of driving per year. So if you drive 10,000 miles a year, 10 panels will cover 
about that here in Minnesota if they all face south like this system does. Um, and so what I say now to people is this um, 16 of those 18 panels are covering my 18,000 miles in my Model X and the other two panels contribute a little more to our household usage. So instead of 60% of our house, it might be 70, 75%. I've not actually run the numbers to see what that is now. Um, so the, I like to be able to say that I am actually driving on sun at this point in time, which is 100% true. And, uh, and so inside this garage, I don't have an inside picture, but inside the garage, uh, I have my, uh, my Tesla charging station, which is just basically, um, sorry, it's basically run off of uh, a separate meter. And here's the, the other meters I have. There's three meters here. One is a solar meter. That's the one on the left. The center meter is our house meter. And the right one is electric vehicle charging meter, which gives me a lower rate um, of 4.2 cents per kilowatt hour, I think it is. And that makes my cost even lower than what it was when I was charging with the standard household meter. So the household meter, I charged with that for uh, three, three and a half years. And I just put on the other meter now, um, this January is when it went live. So cost of charging the car, the car is itself, if you're just on standard household power, is about one third the cost of gasoline to drive per mile for the energy itself. With this new meter, it's probably one-sixth, one-seventh the cost of gasoline. Someone else can correct me. I didn't actually calculate it, but it's in that range. Um, so the, you know, the cost savings with an electric car and with solar, I mean, they go hand in hand, these two technologies. And I'm happy to be able to have solar that can power my car and put an end to gas. And uh, like Yuka, um, I'm trying to convert more of the things in my house to electric as well. Next projects I have are the, um, the water heater, so an air source water heater, and then an air source um, air conditioner. When our current AC unit dies, I'll switch that to an air source heat pump, and that will also provide some of our heat as well as air conditioning for our house. Um, it won't provide enough of our heat because that, our AC system is only designed for three quarters of the house, but we'll figure that out. <laughs> um, anything else you want me to cover, Joe? That sounds great, I think. Um, if folks have questions for Stephen, throw them in the Q&A chat and we will get to them at the end. Uh, now, I think we are going to move on to Laura. I'm going to spotlight your video. Here you are. Welcome and thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thanks. Nice job, Stephen. I'm impressed by your PowerPoint presentation behind you. I don't have any of those photos of my system, but um, as Yuka mentioned earlier, I did upload a video of my daughter Marley and her friend explaining our system. So if you'd like to check that out, um, please do. She'll give you a whole tour. Um, great, so I'm just gonna kind of walk through uh, the journey uh, that our family is on, a similar one to what others have expressed about kind of looking towards uh, full home electrification and uh, using as little fossil fuels as possible within our lifestyle. Um, on a personal note, um, our journey kind of begins um, that my husband and I actually met working for a solar installer, Solar City, when we were both living in the Bay Area. Um, and so we immediately had this uh, 
this in common. And um, when we moved back to Minneapolis and were able to buy our first home here in South Minneapolis, we were just super thrilled to think about installing solar on our own home, um, having been part of the process for so many other homeowners up until that point. Um, our real estate person was incredibly patient with us as we went about finding like the most ideal solar access <laughs> for a home that we could afford. He kept trying to convince us that we should care about public schools and things like that. And we were just like, yeah, okay, <laughs> it's a good school. Cool. Also, is there a South facing roof with no vents and other <laughs> obstructions? We are so nerdy about it. Um, so the day that we, um, our project was a little non-conventional. We actually did it ourselves, um, called some friends in, got some scaffolding up and some other safety precautions and invited the neighborhood and installed our solar system on our home. Um, and I guess that was about four years ago now. We just have a 3.2 KW system um, on the roof, both the south facing and west facing roof of our home and then plans to expand that once we redo our garage as well. Um, we have a 3.8 solar edge inverter in the basement. Um, so solar was actually the first project, which is maybe a little out of the order that Yuka was suggesting. I think it's maybe unusual. Um, but since we were such solar enthusiasts, enthusiasts, it made sense. Um, and then shortly after we purchased a Nissan Leaf, which on day one that I was driving it, I ran it into a parking garage pole and scratched up the whole backside. So if you see a gray Nissan Leaf with a huge scratch across the back of the car, um, give me a wave, that's me. Um, I am not a car person at all. I don't know anything about cars or care about them in the least, no offense, Yuka. Um, but I tend to notice like beautiful vegetation and stuff on the side of the road more than I would even notice like a fan fancy, unique car coming my direction. Um, but the, uh, I have loved owning the Nissan Leaf. It is by far the best vehicle I've ever driven. Um, it's been totally comfortable for our family of four um, and have really uh, just uh, uh, enjoyed the whole experience of having an electric vehicle and especially one powered by the sun. Um, so we began our electric vehicle journey with that car, and then we also um, since have purchased a Kia Niro as well. Um, and that's been a nice car also. I think what's notable about our car purchasing experience is that um, we originally thought, even with the first one, but especially with the second, that we would um, go through the process of upgrading our panel in the garage, um, but we still haven't done that. Um, we, so we're still kind of trickle charging, if you will, both vehicles on a 120 volt panel, um, sub panel in the garage, and or outlet, actually, there's not even a subpanel out there. Um, so I think that that was a surprise. Um, it continues to just work fine for us. We also only have one garage parking spot and we thought we would like run an extension cord across the yard and over the fence to charge on the street. We haven't done, needed to do that either. We've just ended up getting into a good rhythm where we take turns taking the garage space and charge every other day mostly. Um, I also have a charging station where I work um, so that's been a nice turn of events as well. Um, so often I charge when I get to work right away in the morning um, and aren't even using the charging uh, at home uh, anymore. Although I'm not going to work, but pre-COVID. Um, so those are our vehicles. We also have a little um, super nerdy, just off-grid system on our playhouse. We have one panel on the playhouse, a little 
uh, converter, a little battery, <laughs> and um, we run a string of lights in there and my kids charge their tablets and stuff like that during the day in the playhouse. Um, so that's fun. And uh, we don't have storage. I, um, I, uh, we just haven't needed it. And I think as you could point it out, just the grid in this part of the country, very reliable. Um, so that hasn't been an investment that we've prioritized so far. Um, we have an induction stove and plan to do some of the water heating and other heating elements um, with a remodel that we're working on for the house towards electrification. Um, one other thing before I move on, let you move on to the next panelist, I just wanted to put a little PSA out there for those electric vehicle owners listening. Um, I work now for MISO, which is a big transmission grid operator. And um, I think as we move into a world with more solar, um, it's going to be increasingly important that everybody doesn't return home with their electric vehicles and start charging right at peak hours, which will be afternoon and early evening hours. So um, to the extent that you're able um, to get into the habit of setting your timer on your vehicle to have it start charging at nine o'clock or after, um, it really does make a big difference as far as how clean those electrons are that are coming to your vehicle, um, especially in the Midwest here where we have a lot of wind that uh, generally is blowing at night and overnight. Um, it's, it is a lot cleaner energy in the middle of the night than what you're getting at uh, four, five, six o'clock in the evening just as you get home. So as we move into a world of more electric vehicles and more solar on the grid, um, kind of moving towards smarter timing of vehicle charging will be an important part of integrating more of these vehicles. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, great tip there at the end. Uh, Philip, you have been braving the elements outside, it looks like. So I'm going to spotlight your video and I wonder if I can unmute you as well. One second. Yeah, there. Oh, oh, there you go. You're good. All right. Welcome. Thank you for being with us. Uh, I'm going to let you get going. Okay. Hi, everybody. My name is Philip Adam and uh, my um, Wednesday will be the 10th anniversary of Excel flipping a switch on our system. Uh, 10 years ago, Innovative Power Systems installed our uh, array. It is um, 28 panels, SunTech 175 watt panels. Now you can get um, uh, um, uh, 325 watt panels. This is a, a just a 4.9 kilowatt system, and now now you could put nine kilowatts on that roof. It's a south facing roof, so it was perfect. Um, I want to say prior in the 2009 we had remodeled our lower level in our house and I asked the contract because the ceiling was open I asked the contractor to run a three inch conduit from our utility box to the garage so it would be easy to install these solar panels the following year. Um, and uh, so that was uh, one thing I did uh, with the remodel. Um, the uh, We utilize we also have been driving electric cars since uh, 20. Um, we've got about 130 miles of experience. We've had uh, two uh, Nissan Leafs um, at 65,000 miles, two BMW i3s also about 65,000 miles, and now uh, now we've added a Model Y. Um, uh, so we've driven about 130,000 miles um, of, uh, of electric. And uh, um, so something about our solar panels, the solar panels have generated, a, they averaged uh, just over 
for 4.2 uh, or 4,200 kilowatt hours a year. The cars need about 6,000. We drive about uh, um, 20,000 miles a year and with summer and winter driving, they average about 3.4 miles per kilowatt hour. Um, my wife's got a lithium foot. I've got a lead foot. I really enjoy driving, driving the electric cars. Uh, I have a lot of fun with them. Um, and then the house uses about uh, 5,000 uh, kilowatt hours a year. And I'm somewhat of a geek in that uh, I've taken 30 years of uh, uh, data on our home, with electric use and uh, natural gas use. In fact, I've even laminated some of it. When you come to a car show and want to discuss with me um, the, some of the benefits of electric cars um, and, and solar panels. So with the 10 years of uh, electric, uh, and the other thing is that the uh, solar, we don't, or the electricity we use that is not produced by the solar array is uh, we buy wind source from Excel. So 40% of our um, electricity is from those panels and about 60% is wind source. So we are zero carbon on, uh, on our electricity. Um, and one of the things I always preach about electric cars is that uh, when you burn a gallon of gasoline, stoichiometrically, you generate about 19.4 pounds of carbon dioxide. But I insist that you always have to include the, the contribution from the refining process and from the getting it out of the ground process, again, the extraction refining. So 35% of gasoline's carbon footprint occurs before you leave the, uh, the holiday or the quick trip. Um, and so one of the calculations I've made is how much carbon have we eliminated uh, in the 10 years we've had solar panels and electric cars? And I figure it's about 180 tons of carbon uh, that uh, just one family has eliminated in about, in about 10 years. Um, one of the other things I'd like to point out is, um, oh, what's the payback on the solar panels? I get that question quite a bit. Um, again, we bought it 10 years ago. We paid about 7,600 for the system after the rebates and the federal tax credit. And it's generating about $53 a, um, a month in savings to us. And I assumed about a 3% and because I've taken utility bills for 30 years on the house. In fact, I can tell you when we got rid of the side-by-side uh, -side fridge, when we switched from incandescence to, flu to fluorescence, and a little bit when we switch from fluorescence to LEDs. Um, uh, again, the uh, point I'm trying to make is that um, uh, I've taken really good records and our electricity prices have gone up about 3% per, per year for 30 years. Interest is about 3%. So I did include the time cost of money in my $53 a month calculation. And the payback is, is about 12 years for this older system. Now, one of the things I also do is I look at the um, uh, what would happen if we had a carbon fee on, on carbon? And in Europe, gasoline is about an extra $4 a gallon, which translates to about $300 per ton on CO2. Um, and so what, it's, what it did is I recalculated the payback based on what would, what would happen if the carbon fee was say $100 per ton, $200 per ton or $300 per ton. Then a 12 year payback on these panels would actually be seven years, five years and under four years respectively for the 100, 200 and $300 per ton uh, calculation. Now, likewise with the cars, uh, 
uh, a $100 per ton fee uh, would, uh, based on 20,000 miles of driving, I would save about $100 per month on, on fuel. If it was a $200 per ton fee, uh, $200. And uh, likewise, if uh, carbon was $300 per ton, I would save three, $300 per month additional, above and beyond the 100 per month we save on, on fuel costs. Um, one other thing I'd like to point out is that in 2016, we had a, um, a hail, hail storm on our house um, and the uh, sh shingles had to be replaced, but not the solar panels, they were fine. Um, I also had uh, the leaf in the garage, I had the, uh, an Impala outside and I had my, a BMW i3 outside. The BMW i3 did just fine, it's a carbon fiber body, no dents on it. The I had some had some hail dents. So solar panels and carbon fiber cars do quite well in hailstorms. And thank you for your time. Awesome. Thank you so much, Philip. I'm going to cancel your spotlight. And last but not least, we're going to move on to Keith, who I think has some cool new uh, shots of his solar array uh, to yeah. share with us today, courtesy sure. of uh, Stephen, <laughs> I think. So all right. All you, Keith. Thank you. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about battery storage, um, had, uh, very similar experience with everybody else, you know, uh, got an EV, uh, four years ago. And then I thought, how am I gonna electrify everything else? And, uh, so here's that journey. Um, so here's a shot of what uh, it looks like when I charge my car at, at work. Um, so it takes about an hour and a half to uh, charge my car when we drive about uh, uh, 40 miles a day. Um, but since, uh, COVID, we just charge at home and it's probably just about an hour of a week at this point. Um, on road trips, um, so, so, so this is a very road trip capable car. Um, we, we take our Tesla Model 3 um, up to the cabin a couple times a year and, and and also um, across North Dakota to see um, to uh, see my family. Um, usually, the car is ready and done charging at the supercharger uh, before our family is, um, you know, having a toddler and dog in tow. Uh, takes quite a while to, to uh, get them ready. Um, so here's a look at the solar array we put on, on our house. We, um, we had some hail damage on our roof. So we redid the roof and we thought it was a perfect time to put uh, solar panels on the house and we maxed it out. Um, so we have uh, 36 panels um, with a 10 kilowatt inverter. Um, 
this was put in at the end of 2019. So this is our first uh, uh, complete year. We were estimated to generate about 9,500 uh, kilowatt hours a year, and we're already at 10,000 with uh, three months left of the year. Um, and like others, we, we've been uh, planning and working to replace all of our gas appliances. And with this amount of um, solar, we're, we're able to be, uh, uh, to, I guess, to not use the grid for our, en for our energy. Um, so we had our panels installed by Tesla. And as we were going along, the price kept dropping and dropping. And um, at, at a certain point, it was the same cost to add two power walls as it was to get uh, a, a solar panel system installed by a local installer. So uh, made, the, made the jump and um, installed those. So uh, this is what the app looks like on, on my phone. Um, so at peak generation, we have about uh, 10 uh, kilowatts of energy. Um, you can see uh, or that are coming in off the panels and you can see that the inverter is supplying uh, uh, 2.4 kilowatts of energy to the house and the rest to the to refill the power wall batteries. Um, this is what it looks like when the grid's down. So not more than a month after we we had the system live there was an ice a storm in Minneapolis and um, and the grid was out for a bit and you can see the power wall at that point was at 81 percent and the majority of the power was uh, coming from the the sun until the uh, because uh, that much of the array didn't have any uh, snow on it at 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 that point um one thing to note uh when the grid's down your solar does not generate anything without battery storage uh, because the excess energy needs a place to, to go it can't go back onto the grid because it may injure a person working on the lines so the um, once uh, in our system, once the battery is full, then it uh, turns off the solar inverter so it doesn't generate any more energy until the batteries drop below 95% again. Um, so another mode they have is called Stormwatch mode. Um, so this allows the batteries to charge from the grid uh, when there's a potential storm that may, uh, may disrupt the grid in your area. It may be a uh, thunderstorm, it may be tornadoes, it may be 
you know, uh, or it, it may be a fire warning. Um, so, so this allows the batteries to recharge so you're ready if the grid goes out. And then lastly, there's the vehicle integration side of things. So with our Tesla Model 3, we don't necessarily want it to charge if the power goes out because it has such a large battery store compared to the power walls that um, we could wake up in the morning if the power was out and the car will have taken all the energy from the power walls. So what they've done is they've enabled um, communication between the car and the power walls. So you can set, um, I only want the car to charge when the grid's down, if the power walls have more than 75% of energy in them or 80 or wherever you want to set it at. Um, lastly, I, just kind of breaking down the cost of our system. Um, the solar panels themselves um, are going to be about 11900 after tax credits and Excel's uh, solar rewards program. And then the battery storage side, it's uh, 10600 So all in, it was about uh, 22500 after tax credits, um, and there's a lot of great programs in Minnesota. There's the CU Green program at a couple of credit unions. I just checked as of today, uh, you can get rates at 2.887% and um, MNCE, they have loan programs in Minneapolis that are as low as uh, 0%. Um, and uh, I guess that is the end of uh, of my presentation, Joe. Thank you, Keith. I have to say, seeing the user experience side of things through the app was like a completely new thing for me. So I really appreciate the time and energy you put into making that slideshow. It was really, really cool. So <laughs> thank you. Well, um, you know, there were a lot of people I thought I was uh, c uh, competing with Steven and Yuka, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> you set a new bar, so congrats. Yeah. Uh, all right, I think uh, maybe we can move into the Q&A now. So I don't have any videos spotlighted, so it's just focus on the person who's talking. So I'm going to start off with a question from Melissa. Uh, so solar panel owners, have any of you had problems with rodents building nests under your panels? I think I heard some chatter about this in our pre-webinar meeting. So does anyone have any, anything to say here? Yes, always get the critter guard. Um, <laughs> so uh, right away when we had ours installed, uh, they nested under two of our panels and chewed through the wires. So we were wondering why is only half of our system working? Uh, quickly determined that and uh, had critter guard installed and uh, no, no problems uh, since. Anyone else have experiences with how I, that? I also had some problems. Um, you can see in my system here, I have uh, basically it's just wire mesh, uh, wire hardware cloth is what it's called that I put up there around the system to, uh, I had some squirrels, one squirrel in particular that just loved to chew on the wires. He wasn't nesting there. 
Um, and actually I put a live trap up there to trap him and I was going to relocate him to the lake because <laughs> he was just destroying the wires. So I didn't actually, I did trap him, but I let him go in the yard and yeah, I don't know how he got up there. There's no trees around their house. I was just going to ask if, if you think that the squirrel actually liked the lake from property that you provided <laughs> for her at that point, who knows? Well, and I think this time of year too, squirrels kind of go crazy and, and just want to uh, store everything. Yeah, uh, and I, my, my experience is that they tend to get crazy plenty of time of the year. I mean, I, I, <laughs> in, uh, we did, when, when we installed our systems, uh, my, my system designer, of course, had an experience, good experience of, of solar panel installation. And he's a, definitely that grid card immediately up there, not a day without them. And that definitely is a, is a good, good uh, thing. Our scrolls here in our yard have two true like our swing set cords. So I've had to climb the tree to, to replace those. So it's, it's just, it's just, it's just like doing that. I've got some folks in the chat uh, corroborating and saying that squirrels uh, have special abilities to get places. And I think it's, many of you are in South Minneapolis and maybe have to deal with um, super industrious albino squirrels. I know there's a little population of them down there. So moving on from the critter question, I think um, Katie is asking where you charge in North Dakota. And I know she means your EV. So how many of you have taken trips through North Dakota? Um, are there any, any tips for charging? We go around it. No. <laughs> well, so they actually um, have a couple. Um, well, Tesla put in some recently. So. Yeah, so um, uh, so d depending on your EV, there are uh, Tesla superchargers all along I-94 across North Dakota now. Um, if you have another kind of EV that doesn't uh, use that uh, standard, there are uh, DC fast chargers that have been installed in um, uh, Moorhead, uh, Moorhead, Minnesota, Fargo, Grand Forks, Minot, and Bismarck so far. And that has been through the uh, Volkswagen uh, settlement. Perfect. Yeah. Anyone more, else? More, have... yeah. Mm -hmm. I just want to say more and more of those calling in, um, as he said, uh, from that grant program from VW Settlement. And um, the best place to find those is, uh, well, one of the, there are many mapping programs, but for generally plug share uh, is probably the most commonly used by, by drivers in finding those stations. So check out that every now and then and see where you find, find new stations. And uh, sometimes just, just to be, be cautious about it, because there's many of these charging stations that are, being installed right now, so they might be still under construction. So make sure that when you look at it, you're like, oh, is it ready? Is it already online or is it still under construction? Just to, just to be sure. Great tip, thank you. So uh, Kimo, and apologies if I pronounced your name wrong, is asking how much electricity uh, from the PV array comes through during the winter? Do you see a dip in production? Does anyone wanna talk about that? Maybe Laura, do you wanna start us off? Uh, yeah, we, um have we can't access our roof unfortunately or our panels so we um sit under snowy panels in the winter for a number of days until they melt um 
but I know others like will sweep the snow off to limit the loss of production there. Um, in general, it's, uh, you know, at least in Minnesota, we have some very short days in the winter um, and also snow, it snows here. Um, so much less production during the winter than in the summer months. Um, I would recommend installing your solar in Minnesota in the dead of winter so that every day your production improves and improves and improves. <laughs> um, same with your EV range. Um, get one in the winter so that every day when you come in, you can see your range improving. It's always a little bit sad in the fall to see the opposite trend. I actually, one way to stay in tune with the seasons. Yeah. It's pretty fascinating, actually. Yeah. I would say 75% of your EV array, or 75% of the uh, array power in a year is generated between the spring equinox and the um, autumn equinox. Um, and in fact, I, I just count on having zero production in January and February and maybe 50 kilowatts in November. I don't get, it doesn't get going until February. Um, and even then February and March or February and October are kind of a shoulder month. I actually saw the Kimos question there earlier. Um, so thank you for the question. I went to check, check out uh, my, my uh, production numbers. So I actually have a scrap to share with you guys. So let me just uh, open that one here. And I can show it to you. So here you have a seasonal variation graph that I just pulled out of my solar solar system. So um, here the production numbers are, are the solar production is on green, and then our energy consumption is on uh, red. Those are not exactly correct numbers because this only we have two systems. We have two point eight kilowatt system and then we have 8.6 kilowatt system and this is only from our uh, 8.6 kilowatt system and our 2.8 kilowatt system is producing energy the same way but it doesn't show in these graphs so these are not exactly accurate numbers um, so ignore the self-consumption and, and, and consumption numbers because consumption uh, numbers are actually more more leveled than that but you can see that in, in uh, winter months um, it's roughly 50, 40, 40 to 50% lower, uh, or I'm sorry, 50 to 60% lower and than in summer months. So that's, that's roughly what it looks like in our household, um, of the production. And, uh, when you look at the different seasonal and, and for Kimmo, the winters here, I'm Kimmo is probably from Finland. We have international webinars nowadays, as you can see. Um, so um, winters in Minnesota are very close to what they are in Finland. There's not, not a huge difference there, except that we have a little bit more sun. That's, that's the biggest difference here. In uh, Finland, they, uh, they don't see the sun for a couple of months. So uh, production in Finland is a little lower because of that. But at the same time, in the summertime, they have some, sometimes 24 hours of sun. So they have much better production in Finland because of that. All right, I stop sharing. Perfect, and I'm sure the squirrels in Finland are just as uh, hungry for uh, wires. Does anyone they, else have anything they, to they, add here? They're actually not. 
There's no? much less scrolls scroll in Finland. <laughs> so, but I'm sure his credit card is probably good to 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 do in Finland too. I'll um I'll say here's my system again, um with snow on it, and I don't do anything. I don't I don't rake them off of any sort. I do nothing to it. But I have to tease Keith because when he had his system first installed, he was snow raking his system while it wasn't producing. <laughs> so. <laughs> So Keith, that was awesome, even though you weren't producing anything at the time. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll say that it, it's, um, it, it works quite well with the, you know, with the one-story house and a one-story garage to rake it off. And even when it's a, a you know, a, a 30 kilowatt hour day of generating, it, 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 it feels a lot better than zero. <laughs> And I'll say that raking, we don't use a rake. It's uh, a snow brush with a foam on it or something like that. Yeah. Perfect. Okay, so a few more EV questions. Um, Anonymous asks, is it okay to charge a leaf with a Tesla charging station? Can you even do that? Yes. Great. Well, so it, is it okay? <laughs> a, well, a Tesla home charging station, yes, you can with an adapter. A Tesla supercharging station, no, it won't work. Correct. So the answer is yes, maybe. <laughs> yes, works. at home. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Another EV question. Uh, have any of you run into a situation where you stopped a charge, but all the chargers were in use? It seems like this could be a problem as EV purchases increase. And I know too, it really matters based on where you are, if you're on the West Coast, the East Coast, uh, et cetera. So has anyone scheduled a charging station or pulled up to one and, and had to wait? Anyone want to share their experience there? Um, so, so that was a concern for me the first time I drove to North Dakota when there were no DC fast chargers, whether Tesla or otherwise. So um, the last DC fast charger was in Moorhead, Minnesota, and there's just the one, right? So um, knowing that a, a person may be there for 30 minutes to an hour before arriving was certainly nerve wracking. Uh, no one was there and, and, and it was fine, but, but I, I think that's why I'm, I feel much better about the Tesla supercharging stations where most, most locations have eight or more stalls. So if they happen to be full, uh, you know, there's probably a person who's gonna pull away within five minutes. Perfect. And I'd like to add that it's really only for long distance travel that that's an issue, unless you're buying the short range um, electric vehicle, like the, the Leaf is a little shorter range, um, where you might need it occasionally around town. Otherwise, I have never charged at a supercharger or any DC fast charger um, where I had to around town at all. Every, on my, a daily basis, it's completely fine. At home charging is 100%. All right, thank you for your question, Melissa. I think there's a question that got answered that I wanna pull up here. So uh, Isabel, earlier you were talking about Minnesota Power's Solar Reward, Rewards Program and Katie asks uh, if it's full this year, if it's first come first served, uh, what's the availability? And I know you answered her in the chat, but do you wanna answer it so everyone can, can hear? I know this, you know, this is Minnesota Power specific, but it's, you know, all utilities have uh, a program kind of like this. 
Yeah, several of the utilities have similar programs. Um, Minnesota Powers did tend to sell out fairly quickly. So yes, my answer to, uh, I think Katie, it was right in the chat uh, or in the Q&A was that unfortunately all of the funds have already been allocated or spoken for um, for the 2020 program year, but Minnesota Power has requested um, approval from the Public Utilities Commission to extend the program for four more years. And the incentive amount is likely to be a little bit lower than it was in the past, but still likely to cover about 20% of the total installation cost. And I expect that um, applications will start being accepted in March. That could certainly change. So you can check in with me um, if you're interested in, in that um, for 2021. But yeah, I would expect that um, there's no more funds available this year. But that's just Minnesota Power. I Excel and Dakota um, should still be accepting applications. Perfect. Thank you, Isabel. Uh, question for folks who have heat pumps. Are heat pump operational costs similar to natural gas costs? Asked Brian. Does anyone want to speak to that? Well, I at least have the, the heat pump water heater. And um, I see, I've had mine only for five months, four or five months now. And um, so I can't really tell over the whole uh, year what the cost would be. But it, I have to say it was really nice in the summertime to not have to pay for for any gas. There was our gas bill was just a just a standard month monthly uh, that they have the fixed fee, but zero therms used in the summertime. That just felt really 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 good, and the energy consumption for the heat pump water heater was much lower than I was expecting. It was it was not drawing much power, especially in the summertime. We have, it's, it's installed in a basement and usually in the summertime we have run, because the basement gets, gets very um, humid in the summertime, we have run a dehumidifier in our basement. And now when I looked at the power consumptions compared to the, this water heater and the, uh, the dehumidifier, the water heater actually used less energy during the summertime than what our dehumidifier did. And, and it, uh, because it's a heat pump system, it actually dehumidifies the air and heats our water for the same <laughs> price in that, that way. So I think it was really, really good from that perspective. In the wintertime, of course, it uses the energy from inside of the house. So you have to heat the house and then uh, the heat pump uses the same energy. So it, it, it's a little different calculation there. But I, I still would say I'm, I'm not concerned about that at all. Let's put it that way. Uh, one note, getting back to Isabel's comment, um, Katie says, I believe Shakopee Electric still has an incentive program. So I think maybe the upshot is check with your utility to be sure. Um, no broad brush strokes. Everyone kind of does things differently and has different timelines, right? Isabel, would you agree? Yep, yeah, programs like that that are administered by the utility uh, you should check directly with the utility, but yes, Shakopee has one. I believe it's $1.50 per watt, so pretty generous incentive. Perfect. Thank you. So now back to heat pumps again. Uh, Kati is asking, would an air source heat pump water heater be acceptable for a 10-unit apartment building? And I know we have um, some folks who are transitioning apartments to electric that are not on this call, but Yuka, do you want to take this one? Yeah, I don't, I don't see why 
wouldn't. It's it's the as long as the installation location has has enough space there, um, so that or it can it can be ducked to a different area so that it doesn't just kind of like take the heat from one small area and then cool that down too much. That's the one thing that you have to take into account when you look at the heat pump water heaters. Um, but otherwise, I don't see any any reason why it couldn't because basically it's a, installation is the same as electric water heater. There's not much difference in there. So that would be the only thing. So yeah, I, I don't I don't think there's concern, but of course you have to look at the site site specifics and, and look at if it works in that Yuka? case. Yuka, yes. how about the um, capacity of recovery rate? I think that might be a little small for a 10 unit. Um, okay, so I'm, I'm ex assuming that they have more than one uh, water heater in that 10 unit because, uh, or, or if there's a commercial unit available, I don't know. But with these ones right now, how the heat pump water heaters work is that they have the heat pump that is usually just doing that. But if the recovery is, if there's a need for faster recovery, so let's say every, someone just uses ton of hot water and you have to heat up uh, water faster, then it actually has a resistive heating uh, uh, system there. So it can start to use it with direct electricity if needed. So I have actually, I, I was actually surprised how fast it, it heats. It, uh, in my case, it uses the resistive heaters only in the original setup, and I don't think it has turned on after that for our everyday use. So that's, that kind of provides uh, backup there for, for the, to make sure that it heats up water fast if needed. Yeah, and, and Kadi is saying that he has a 250-gallon storage tank, so, yeah. Yeah, you need a little different unit for that than my 50-gallon. Yeah. <laughs> right. Five of them, maybe. Five of them, yeah. Five, five of those, you're good. Well, setting heat pumps aside for the moment, unless we get another question, uh, Roberta asks about uh, home positioning. So Roberta says, my home does not have south-facing roof, but great west-facing sun. How do I justify installation compared to all of you with south-facing homes? Um, so my home is east and west. Uh, uh, Stephen Hong was actually my realtor when we were looking to buy a home. And uh, we looked at so many homes and ended up uh, buying the home I was renting, even though it didn't have the perfect south facing roof. Um, so we generate about 22% less electricity with the panels we have than if we had a, you know, the, the, the perfect south facing roof. But um, we still have an ROI of 10 years. Um, you know, if you have south facing, it might be seven to eight if you had the same cost I had, um, but totally worth it. And one, of, one section that my roof faces west, but uh, I had the, those panels propped up to face south. So if you can see that on my background, that's a west facing roof. I'll just add to as um, the cost of the technology of solar panels continues to go down and down, um, the kind of ideal conditions are less and less important to the design of the system. So five years ago, you really did need to have a south facing roof with no shading, minimal events, you know, all that stuff in order to make the project pencil. Um, and now because solar panels are just getting so cheap, um, it really makes sense to put them, even if it's partly shaded, even if it's east, west facing, um, it's still really, it adds a lot more flexibility and it makes it um, 
much, uh, it makes it pencil and economic to install even without 100% ideal conditions. I think that's reassuring to hear. <laughs> Anyone else have anything to add? Well, I would say, say add to that, of course, if you have a west facing roof, then it also provides uh, the solar production later in the day, which actually is very grid friendly. So, so that's another benefit from it. Oh, yeah. All right, perfect. So actually, we've got our first question about storage. So Daniel asks, uh, how do you view the financial value of storage? Does it pencil out in Minnesota? Or is the value more in reducing and eliminating grid reliance in order to maximize your renewables or allow for a smaller solar installation? Um, I know a few of you have storage. Do you want to take this question on? Keith, do you want to start? Sure. Um, in, uh, in our particular project, it was more for um, not being reliant on the grid. Uh, if I go back and look uh, through the through the the stats over the summer, I used about twelve kilowatt hours a month from the grid. Um, so I set a baseline of twenty percent remaining on my battery storage. So during the day, it's solar, and then at night, it's all all battery. Um, so uh, does it pencil with an ROI? Um, no, the, the, the utility is not uh, paying me back or there isn't a time of day rate that is, you know, 30 to 40 cents a kilowatt hour where I want to use that battery storage. Um, but it, uh, it, it makes us feel good. And uh, we're looking forward to programs where we can partner with the utility in the future and we're prepared by having it installed right now. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's a, definitely a good points there. Um, you can see my um, battery storage there on my, on my back, this side here. Um, I have LG Chem batteries in, in my system and, and the solar storage inverter behind me there that is uh, doing the um, in, inverter job and also sets up a microgrid. So if the power goes out, there's an automatic transfer switch in our, our main um, breaker panel there that turns, me, turns the system off the grid. And uh, then the solar inverter or storage inverter does the, does the both. It, that one sets up the microgrid and runs the whole house as a microgrid at that point. The question there was, was uh, one question, one part of the question was about if this allows a smaller solar panel installation. And my recommendation is, is um, we have to remember that battery storage doesn't produce anything. It is just a storage instrument. Um, I would recommend always putting as much solar as you can. Whatever you can, just put as much solar as you can into the system, whatever the limitations are, whether it's a size, whether it's with anything but, but just install as much as you can. That's, that's the best thing. And these consider battery storage in a normal days kind of as a shock, shock absorber. It uh, takes the extra when, when you have extra available, sucks it in, and then when you need more, then it provides uh, the energy back. Uh, for those times. For example, in my case, usually um, when I, I used to be in a time of use rate, 
with, with my whole household. And at that time, the storage system worked so that uh, when the sun went down, the batteries were full, and then it provided the power in for our household usage until 9 p.m. when we went into off-grid, so a lower price. And so I could kind of carry, that system could carry over till 9 p.m. At the same time, it was great for the grid perspective, um, so because then grid didn't see us at all at that time. So we were not putting any stress into grid when it has the highest need, just like Laura earlier said about not uh, using the grid during the evening hours if possible. So that's where the storage helps a lot. And then we didn't have to pay for the higher price price of it. But uh, really financially, it doesn't make sense at the moment. It only makes sense in the cases where there's a huge time of use, great difference, probably some, some uh, um, West Coast uh, utilities might have this kind of setup. Uh, or if you would have a, have a uh, pricing where the price would fluctuate based on the market uh, pricing. Uh, we don't have too many of those yet in the US, but when that comes, then there will be more and more need for storage. But what I'm excited about is really the Tesla setup where they, uh, where they do all kinds of integration with the systems. They look at the weather when it's coming, just like Keith explained, how, the, how it works with the, with the car and all of that. They just keep on making it smarter and smarter all the time. And that's cool to see. Well, and I do have a related question. So Katie asks, how does it work with your battery storage in the winter, given that your PV system is producing less in that season? It doesn't work as well. <laughs> it, it still works, but, but of course, if, it's, uh, if there's no... Uh, sun available doesn't store we have to remember that one thing that we when you look at the battery storage systems let's say in my case it's 18.6 kilowatt hours i think heat is 27 kilowatt hours he has a little bigger bigger system what you want to make sure there is that there's always some stored energy there for grid outage so for example my system in the summertime i'm setting it up so that it never goes under 30 percent of state of charge and in the winter time it doesn't never falls below 50%. So the batteries are at least 50% full all the time. So if there would be grid outages, no matter what the situation is, I would still have almost 10 kilowatt hours of energy there to take care of me, care, care of the needs of the household in those cases. So that's good thing. It provides you a grid uh, outage store, so that, so that if, if there's a grid outage, you will be covered. But the other thing is the, the bad thing about it is that you're not able to use the whole storage capacity of your batteries. Just take that into account when you when you look at the capacity in the future, if you put in storage systems. All right, so I don't see any new questions coming in. So uh, does anyone here have questions they get from family, friends, neighbors that haven't come up today that uh, you feel like is an important talking point on this subject? Hmm. All right, I guess we've talked about everything. So I'm gonna give <laughs> folks a couple more seconds to send in a question if they have them. And then also uh, remind people that if they have new questions that they wake up in the middle of the night with, they can always join us for our EV owners panel later this week. What a deal. All right, with that, I think I'm going to end us five minutes early. Thank you everyone for being here. Have a wonderful afternoon and we'll see you next time.
Thank you for tuning in to the audio recording of our virtual open house. You can stay up to date on Fresh Energy's work via our blog at fresh-energy.org or follow us on social media. In the meantime, thank you everyone for listening and subscribing to our podcast. You can support Fresh Energy's work by making a donation today. Visit our website at fresh-energy.org and click donate in the upper right corner. I'd also like to invite you to join us at our virtual benefit breakfast on October 22nd. Reserve your spot today at fresh-energy.org slash benefit breakfast. We all know that clean energy must be at the center of rebuilding our economy, but how can we make it happen? Fresh Energy will be joined by Dr. Leah Stokes, a national expert on energy, climate, and environmental politics, who will give us insights on that very question. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.